podcast. It is March 2017. My name is Charlie, and I'm seated here with some repeat guests who we've had on the podcast before, Jacob and Larry of Natuki, the Chengdu-based bike shop. Say what's up, guys. How you doing? Hello. So I thought it would be an interesting podcast to talk about bike share programs, since this is something that has become really pretty unavoidable in Chengdu, I think. As I cycle around the city, which I do every day, I see hundreds of these things all over the city and increasingly diverse types of bike shares, bikes, different colors, Mm -hmm. different styles. Uh, Tell me a little bit about this bike share situation that we're in in Chengdu and, you know, kind of introduce it to people who might not be familiar with it. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's been around in China, I mean, for a while, like cities have done like government sponsored ones for a while. Uh, but what you're seeing a lot of nowadays, it's they kind of started in 2014, my understanding. Um, and then again, you know, a couple of other brands jumped into it in 2015, where they were using like a, a novel technology, like app-based, um, where there was not, like the difference from what existed before was that there was not a, like fixed locations where you had to put the bike. So uh, you get it, download an app, and then you can use the app to, to trace or to, you know, to find bikes that you can use for a period of time, get charged just for the time that you use it, and then you can leave it anywhere. So I've noticed these bike share programs overseas, especially in Europe, in Paris, and in Germany. A lot of major cities have systems like these. Is, is China kind of just emulating what's going on overseas, or what's the real interest in doing this? Is it a commercial interest? Is it in improving lifestyle in the city, reducing traffic? What do you think are the uh, motivations for China or Chengdu implementing a system like this? Um, I don't know. It's very different from most of the bike shares elsewhere. Uh, Europe, the States, oftentimes you have to register a, a bank card, and then the charging structure for it's different. Oftentimes the bikes come associated with certain docks, so you have to go and pick it up and deposit it at a certain place. Whereas right. like this one, it's just a free for all. They take, you know, they implement a hundred bikes, they drop them in a spot, and then just let them get wherever. So it's kind of fun seeing where they end up. Um, some of them like have been deposited in the city and have ended up in, uh, you know, the top of Lone Twin Mountain, uh, which is thirty kilometers away and up a, a eight kilometer climb. Um, so it's a bit different. Uh, as for like how how it works out, uh, most of it, like and, and sort of the motivation of how how these companies work and make money, um, is a huge item of debate, and uh, it is revolves around sort of uh, I would say probably market saturation, uh, which company has like the greatest reach and has the greatest ease of use, and p- people enjoy the you know the product, which is which one's easiest and most comfortable to ride around. So, do you guys get the feeling that? bikes are becoming viewed differently in Chengdu. Now the bikes are everywhere and they're so accessible and the price is what? It's like one RMB per 30 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. The cheaper ones, it's, uh, no, yeah. The cheaper ones, I think it's actually half of a RMB uh, for, for 30 minutes. So we're early into this, but what do you guys think is going to be the effects of this program? I mean, I, I think it's great. Like, uh, I mean, China used to be definitely like the cycling capital of the world. And then in, you know, the early 2000s and up until, you know, fairly recently, uh, it was, there was like, it kind of died a little bit. I mean, there was like, I read something, there was like 670 million bicycles used in like the 90s. And then by like 2013, it was down to like a little bit more than half of that, like it's like 370 million. 
uh, and what the bike share programs are doing now, I mean, it's just, you see it, like everyone is riding them everywhere. I mean, Chengdu is just one city among many and everyone's on them. I mean, it's making it much more accessible. They're really good for, you know, short trips, like, you know, supplementing your commute from your home to like the nearest subway station or a bus stop to your office. Uh, I mean, it's just getting more people on bikes, which is great. Yeah, I, we did a, a TED Talk in October, and the, the start of the TED Talk was opened with three questions. It was asking the auditorium how many people uh, knew how to ride a bike, how many people used to ride a bike to or from work or school, and then now how many people ride bikes. Uh, and, you know, for the first two questions, hands just stayed up. And third question, people just didn't really think about it. So kind of the premise of this uh, this talk was to encourage people like well what would the world what would the city be like if people started riding again if there was like a, a viable bike share program and then within a month that happened uh, and it's insane so you talk to a lot of people and like there's a lot of buzz about it which is you know part of our motivation to have this talk today but uh, everyone even people that you didn't really think cared about bicycling before it's been made accessible so uh, it's a lot easier to engage with bicycling and use it as a way to get around yeah and related to like what we were you know talked about a second ago like it's compared to like traditional bike bike share programs in the west like in you know new york like paris europe different places or things that have been done here uh, in in the past like government sponsored things this is private so it is uh it's novel like the, these these companies have are using technology like app based systems to make it you know very very accessible and very very easy to use pay for and everything so you guys have been on kind of a long journey spreading the gospel of bikes in Chengdu it's been Bike five life. four years now something like that Four and a half, yeah. Right. So I remember the last time we recorded a podcast was several years ago, and we talked about Natuki and, you know, you guys being an instrumental uh, force in the bicycle community in Chengdu and kind of seeing it grow and change. This is obviously kind of a, a milestone development in bicycling in Chengdu. And now it's March, so we're just kind of coming into what I imagine is the high season for you guys. What do you think um, these bike sharing programs, um, what kind of effect will they have on your business? Do you think it'll bring more people in to commit to, you know, a bicycle lifestyle, kind of like like you guys live and like many other people live, like myself also? Um, what what effects will it have on your business? Good question. Um, we were, It's early, so we can't really, we really aren't certain. Uh, we were, I mean, obviously we're paying attention to see what sort of implications it has, uh, towards us as a business. Um, but there's generally two attitudes that we've, we can maintain about it. One is a positive attitude in which, uh, all of a sudden bikes are accessible and it creates uh, attention and also, um, you know, reaches a larger audience. So more people uh, will see the benefits of finding, of riding bicycles and that may engage them with the idea of actually getting more involved with using a bicycle. Uh, the other side is the dark side, which is, you know, um, there has it serves a potential where people will be like, well, why would I pay so much for a bike of my own that I have to care for and, take, you know, keep from getting stolen and when I can just borrow this bike for, you know, two RMB and that, it works just fine. Yeah, I mean, that, like, it kind of comes into, like, what these bikes are designed for as well, you know, and, and what we do. Uh, like, they are very accessible, you know, but they're they're built for... Uh, short trips, you know, it's just a, you know, a matter of convenience. So 
like these companies like kind of following the lead of what happened a few years ago with like the the um like Uber and the DD Chuxing, uh, where there was just this intense competition to capture market share. Uh, people like these companies were subsidizing the fares just to to get people in the cars and things. And then you know, and then Uber left. The other competitors also kind of gave up, and what's left is is DD. Uh, at the now with these bike share programs, like there was a you know um, Mobike uh, or Mobike it was early or. I think Ofo was actually first in 2014, and then shortly after Mobi um, in 2015. They're the biggest players for sure, and that's what they're doing now. Like they're just trying to put like hundreds of thousands of bikes all over the country uh, in different cities to capture the market share and make their brand be associated with the most convenient one. But in terms of like how it affects our business, I mean, we, you know, although it is like the optimistic vision that we're choosing to take. We are not competing with those kinds of bikes. Like we're a, you know, like not, well, yeah, like we're not an entry level bike shop. You know, like we sell quality bikes that, you know, have meet the, the, the uses and, you know, reasons for riding that of our customers. And that's what we pride ourselves in. So where you, you'll very quickly, when you use these programs, like they are convenient, like I've used them myself, but very very quickly like inside two kilometers you realize like their shortcomings and right so i feel like we're really kind of in the honeymoon period with yeah. this where these companies are dumping massive amounts of investment in this industry with the idea that you know one at some point in the future it's going to pay off and i think that the market is excited by all these new opportunities to get bikes on every corner and you mentioned a couple of the companies. How many companies do you estimate are in this industry? Because I see yellow bikes, blue bikes, orange bikes, and it yeah. feels like every so, uh, like officially officially there's I think thirty or so, but there's really just like three that are are key players. Um, like the blue go go, I think is like the smaller one. They're going into you know kind of smaller cities, like second mainly second and third tier cities. Uh, and not in very, you know, not in large numbers compared to the others. And then the two big players are Ofo and um, Mobike. And then you see like local varieties. For instance, there was one that existed very briefly uh, that kind of popped up at the tail end of the launch of Ofo, Mobike, Blue Go Go. There's another one called Ibudancha. Um, it's like one step, uh, like bicycle. It was, I think it was called Panda Bike. Um, but you could look at these things and just tell immediately that they were just like their their launch and their their planning and implementation was just like hasty and not going to last. Uh, I mean, they took complete bikes that they probably ordered from a factory at, in, in bulk and then just straight tack welded um, little GPS boxes onto the back with like just really crummy locks. And I I saw a bunch of those to begin with, like maybe in the first week they were mostly in the south. Only bikes I've seen left are just completely stripped and like set at the roadside. I haven't seen any of those being ridden around, but there's yeah, there's a lot of people trying to get in get in the game. So for people who might not know how this how these systems work, can you guys explain how it works? How are the bicycles distributed, managed? Um, how would someone with an iPhone use one of these bikes? What's involved? So uh, yeah, anyone with a smartphone, get on the like your you know respective app store, download the app. You know, you register, it just includes your, you know, that already has your phone number or you input your phone number. There's some kind of identification or like verifying your ID. You pay a deposit and then, and then you can use it. Um, 
you know, like the other ones, I'll, I mean, I've not really paid your address too much, but like Ofo and, and uh, Mobike, they, um, you know, like Mobike, for instance, like you, you, once you get it, like the, the, the uh, GPS thing is located in the bike. So you scan a QR code on the bike. It, it, like the app will automatically and remotely unlock the bike. Uh, so there's no code or anything you have to enter. And then from the t time you can reserve if you're if a little bit away from it, but from the time that you unlock it, the clock starts ticking, and then you pay, you know, like one renminbi per 30 minutes or something. And then you you have like a, a map on your phone, and you can see where all the bikes are distributed if there's one like down the street from yeah, you. Yeah, because the, the GPS is on the bike itself, then you can you can locate the bikes uh in your neighborhood you know reserve one that's close or just go down to the street find one and if there's a whole bunch of them right there you know scan the qr code and get it and have access to it ofo is a little bit different like they their app tracks your location on your phone so they don't necessarily know the app that doesn't know where the bikes are uh and then the the um the locking mechanism is mechanical uh so the the code that um I mean, that's one of the shortcomings or how people are starting to abuse OFO is that they just remember the code in on the mechanical lockbox. And then once they, you know, in their app say that they're done using it, they can still, they still have the ability to unlock the bike and just use it without paying for it. Right. So we had a discussion about this in your Natuki WeChat group about the haphazard of these bike systems and how they're being abused. I think the article, which I'll link to in the show notes, was specifically about Shanghai where people were scratching off the numbers on the bikes to obscure them for other riders. And they knew the bike, the, the person who scratched the numbers off knew the bike number, so only they could use the bike. So it was effectively taking ownership of one of these bikes. Yeah. Do you guys see a lot of vulnerabilities like this, which may you know, s stop um, the progression of this movement? Or how do you guys feel about the sustainability of the system given these kind of vulnerabilities? Um, well, like for instance, when they launched, we, we kind of looked at each of them individually, looked at, you know, their, their strong suits, like how, how was the app interface? How easy was it to set up? How were the bikes designed? Uh, and the one that really took the cake was Mobike, um, simply because their, their entire program was thought from start to finish, like they thought out every little detail. Uh, you know, for instance, Ofo, I think their strategy is a bit different. They're just trying to like kind of overpower the market by just putting their bikes out there and making them cheaper and more convenient to use and trying to engage more people just to get more more people on ofo bikes um so it's i don't know i still think it's a little early to see how it shakes out because like apparently uh theft is a big issue with ofo bikes because people can do just that they can just sort of take over ownership of it and there's no way to track it so loss is a huge problem um but again like they order a lot of bikes so they're i don't think they're too concerned about you know like 10% loss or I, I can't recall what the figure is, but not a small amount. And their, their business models are, are fundamentally different. You know, like Mobike really looked into the future, you know, like they're the fact that, I mean, their bikes are of a much higher quality, like they're heavy, you know, less adjustable, but they're built to last and to not require much maintenance and still function well. Um, the, the GPS part of it, it, I mean, they invested a lot. So like in, into the, the components and, and, you know, like specifics of the bike so uh they have a they have more you know like each bike costs a lot more so there's they like they're they're not i don't think everything i've read about it and heard they're not even close to profitable yet but they're they're backed by companies with very very deep pockets um ofo is a they're and, the, and mobike is also aiming at a larger or a, like a higher end clientele 
you know, like they branded it better and like they're doing that. Ofo, they, their bikes are like cost like less than 400 RMB or even maybe even less than that now that they're getting into the volumes that they're getting into. And they're just trying to, you know, muscle their way into the, into the, the market and, and capture it. You know, so. Then, no, go ahead. I remember when you guys opened your shop here in 2012, was it 2013? Yeah, oh, autumn, yeah. autumn of 2012. We spoke about this in the last podcast that we recorded together. There were something like eight or nine fixed gear bicycle shops in the city. And within two years, that had been whittled down to two or three. And now you guys are the clear front runner in this space in Chengdu. Does it seem to you guys like the same kind of thing will happen here with all these competitors vying for a really finite market, maybe, and just kind of a process of elimination coming down to one, kind of like what we saw with Didi Quaicho and Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think it kind of depends on who wins. You know, it's insanely competitive right now, and it has been since, like, August or September last year. Uh, I mean, if, if Mobike wins, the you know, they will, like, it, they're likely to last. Like, their, or, you know, their program will continue to be used and be accessible. Their, their rental fee will probably increase once they've outcompeted the others. Um, but... You know, their it seems like yeah, their technology, the way that they're doing it, was is you know is is designed to last. The others, um, it's harder to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, their their bikes are like a lower quality. They require a lot more maintenance. Once they start to be you know easy to ride or function, you know how they should, people aren't going to choose to use them. Uh, and if 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 Ofo does outcompete the others, and that's what's left, like people are just going to see these enormous piles of yellow bikes everywhere and you know not be inclined to ride them at all yeah i would i mean that's a big important thing is like user experience is like that is the value of these these programs uh and i don't know it's, it's still again it's still early to tell but like having looked at all of the little details like every little uh piece of each program like mobike's the only one that um you can kind of tell that the business is oriented with like doing it outstanding. It's like the idea, do it right or don't do it at all. Uh, these other programs are trying to capture market share, but, you know, like if you've noticed, you oftentimes will see 10 or 15 OFO bikes parked at the side of the road and they've dropped chains or the wheels bent out of shape or, you know, they're they're just like in a not rideable condition. Um, and that, it doesn't seem so problematic when you're la regularly launching hundreds of bikes in, in a city and like the same sort of areas time and time again, but you know, a business can't keep that up indefinitely and hope that, like, it's sort of just, like, throwing hordes of soldiers at the enemy uh, and seeing if, it, like, they'll triumph. Like, they're, that it, I don't think that's necessarily the most effective strategy. Yeah. War of attrition, yeah. Right now, it is a it is literally a race to who can spend the most money the fastest. Like, uh, Mobike got, like, 300 million U.S. dollars investment, and uh, Ofo is, like, 450 million, and they're just spending as fast as they possibly can getting bikes out and putting them everywhere. Yeah. I think one of the other, like, one minor thing to consider also is the fact that, like, this is super new. So all these cities where these are launching, like the article you referred to uh, based in Shanghai, like, cities also, like, municipalities don't know how to deal with these programs. Um, so I think it also, it's going to depend partially on the business and how they cooperate with, with certain municipalities, cities, and everything to, like, see that they launch these bikes, bikes because, like, you know, the city is going to, very quickly get tired of seeing hundreds and hundreds of bikes pile up and be poorly maintained or just be discarded and left left in places like shanghai 
uh, they were running kind of a program to try and like clean up these these bikes and get them off the streets because they were just cluttering public spaces and not allowing people that own their own bikes a, a place to park. So I think that's going to change. You know, the maintenance implications of putting these thousands and thousands of bikes all over the city are just mind boggling. I'm trying to imagine, you know, one, two, three years from now, what do these bikes look like? How do they work? You know, what happens when thousands of different people are sharing these bikes? Um, how do people treat the bikes? How do the bikes age? Do they replace the old bikes with new bikes? I have so many questions about how this works over a long time period. Yeah, I mean, well, Mobike, like their their kind of standard model um, is built to, it's like nearly indestructible. Like they're, the, you know, they're solid tires. They can't, they don't have, they're not pneumatic. Like they don't have air, can't pop. Their rims are plastic. They have a, a shaft drive instead of a chain. You know, they're, they're heavy as, as sin, but they, you know, they're nearly indestructible uh, and then require very little maintenance. The Mobike does have like a light version, um, and then Ofos are similar to that. It's like they're, you know, they have regular spoked wheels and, and do require maintenance. So, yeah, I mean, but the bikes, like I think the big thing that if, if the bikes need regular maintenance, like the resources necessary to implement that on the scale that they are putting bikes out there at the moment is not sustainable or possible. Uh, I mean, now, like, they're, they're, all of these companies, are, their main goal is to just capture market share. They don't care at the moment. Uh, they're, they have other ways of, I mean, they, they use people's deposits uh, while, they're, while it's being held to, to make money. They are tracking your, your, your traffic, like your, your data as you travel. So that's, that's a valuable asset for them uh, to generate other income. I mean, they're definitely not relying on the, um, like the, the revenue generation from the rental fee. The one uh, RB, yeah. <laughs> well, o Ofo, Ofo actually kind of is because their bikes are cheap. It's, I mean, I've seen some figures. It's they're like a little bit more than three hundred RMB. Some they're even less than that. So they do make their money back within a relatively short period of time. Mobike does not. So. Is is the design of the bike actually very novel? I mean, when you look at the Mobike in particular, in my opinion, and I'll I'll include a photo uh, with the podcast post, but it looks it looks pretty cool. It looks unconventional. It doesn't look like a normal bike. And a lot of the other shared bikes look like conventional bicycles to me. Is there anything very novel about the Mobike design in particular? Yeah. So, like, uh, Mobike was designed um, for minimal maintenance, uh, for longevity, um, and just, like, ease of, ease of use. Like, it's a universal sizing, essentially, for just, like, the general Chinese public. Um, so that includes, like, as Larry mentioned, you have these solid wheels. It has this, like, this uh, asymmetric um, drivetrain. So, like, you only have a, a frame on one side of it. Uh, and then encloses, like, a drive shaft, which is something you don't really see on mini bikes. Um, so, and then part of, like, part of the philosophy, I think, behind having something that looks different is also to kind of capture, like, to distinguish themselves against everyone else. Like, Ofo, they use the same factory that, say, Decathlon would. Uh, and there did they just go and they say, okay, what is your cheapest bike? And we're going to take 4 million. Uh, so that gives them a lot of leverage to just bargain on it. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's certainly not the case with Mobike. I think the only other program that has put some kind of like genuine thought and ingenuity into the design of the bike was, uh, is Blue Go Go. Uh, their bikes are also pretty nice. They, they went with an aluminum frame set, which is strong, but it makes the bike a little lighter. Um, so they're a little bit more purpose-built to be, like, comfortable to ride, sort of stand out. 
um, most of the bike share programs, so like, you know, the other 70%, they all just, I think, approach factories here and say, hey, we'll give you a really big contract. Um, what's the best deal you can give us? And use, like, their purchasing power to leverage and get a better price so they can try and get more bikes and distribute them in more places. You know, one thing I feel, this is a little bit of a tangent, but one thing I feel a little bit dissatisfied about with this bike share program is that I cannot comfortably ride any of them. So it it doesn't. I'm I'm six foot four. I'm much taller than the average Chinese person. So it's obviously they're not made for tall people. They're would, made for the bell curve. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. You are not so, in the bell curve. So it's like five five ten and under. Because I see actually a lot of my friends riding these. I'll meet them at a restaurant or a bar or something, and they will have ridden these bike share bikes there, or they'll ride them when they leave. And some of these people have their own bikes, or they have an e-bike or they have other method of transportation, but these bikes are just everywhere. And so it's easy for them to use. Mm -hmm. Like we had a friend who, who was a cyclist, has a couple of his own bikes. And then he recently started using Mobike for just for the sheer convenience. And he also sees value in it as exercise because the thing is so terribly unfit for him to ride that it just takes him more work. So, you know, what would typically be like an A-OK -A ride on his, his standard bike that's built for him, you know, if he gets on a Mo bike and decides he's going to ride that 16 kilometers, like, he's going to get triple the workout out of it as he would with, you know, with his normal bicycle. So I think that, like, some people, like, sort of see that extra effort that they have to put in uh, riding a bike that's not really designed to be ridden that kind of distance. And they're like, all right, well, this is, you know, I'm getting a little benefit out of it. I've heard a few people say that, actually. Yeah, I mean, they, like, by not making them adjustable, like, they're, it's simpler. Like, there's less, one less moving part or something that, that the average, you know, not necessarily educated user can mess up. Yeah. Uh, and then they need to be accessible to shore people. So they're made to be, you know, rideable by that group. And then if you're even a little bit taller, yeah, it's like, it's not ideal. But on a short distance, like, I've used them. I mean, I have my, I have a number of bikes myself, but... If I'm going to go and meet meet a group of people and and everyone's not riding or the majority of people aren't riding, like I would rather just not deal have to deal with my biker and take a take one of these bike share bikes and and then just leave it wherever when I'm done. Uh, and for a distance of two kilometers or less, like I'm happy to. After that, like I would very much consider taking my own bike because it just be like riding the bike share bikes becomes like much less than enjoyable. Right. <laughs> so I'd like to hear more about that. You guys, first I'll say, you guys published a, a post on your own website about these bike share bikes and the bike share programs in Chengdu. And I'll link to that. I think you described the experience of riding on these. But can you describe maybe your, I know that when this, when these bikes became available, you made it a point to get one and to ride around on it. And you kind of shared your impressions on on what you noticed. Can you describe that? Like describe your first time riding, let's say the Mo bike, since that seems to be the standout. And what did you notice about it? It's very heavy. Are there any other descriptions you can offer? I mean, for myself, uh, it was short and very heavy. Um, the gearing was also pretty low. So even though it was heavy, it was easy, like fairly e easy to pedal from a stop, but the low gearing also limits like the top speed. So, um, and again, you know, I, I only rode it for, I tried a couple of, I rode it for a short distance once and had, you know, found it to be okay. Uh, that's something that I would repeat. And then when I tried it again for a slightly longer distance, 
by the time I arrived at my destination, like my knees hurt and my back hurt and, and I felt that it was a 25 kilogram bike. Yeah. My deep, dirty <laughs> secret is I've never actually ridden any of these bikes. Uh, I've, I've went through the process of registering for them to get familiarized with it. I've seen them. I've seen them unlocked. I've just never had any interest because I, you know, I, like I, I've also like our business is selling bikes. So I've ridden plenty of really overly small, uncomfortable junk bikes. Uh, I know how it feels. So to the novelty of putting down the deposit, just to say I've ridden it, I just haven't, I haven't taken that leap yet and probably won't. Um, you know, not to say I don't, I don't recommend it for other people that can see convenience in it, but like I also have more bikes than I need, essentially. So the idea of, you know, putting, giving my money to a company to hold on to, to allow me free access to these bikes that would not be very comfortable to ride around on is just not, not endearing to me. Totally, totally. For me, for me as well. I have a bike from you guys and I have another bike and I really, really value them and they're a huge part of my life. But as we wrap this up, I will offer a final thought. I'll give you guys a chance to, to leave yours as well. I really hope that the, through these bike share programs, people get introduced to an alternative bicycle lifestyle, which they find more practical, more healthy, to reduce the stress in their lives, to get more exercise, to get where they're going faster. And I hope that they graduate from these humble bikes into, you know, better bicycles, which are more enjoyable and faster and and uh, just overall better and that would be a really good outcome as we go into the spring and, and the summer you guys have any final thoughts on bike share programs or, or these bikes yeah uh, like I think I can speak on behalf of our, our business like we're really pumped about the potential benefits of like re-engaging the general public with bicycling to get around I mean it's something we've always worked really hard to try and encourage and build a community around bicycling but you know, it's not easy work when people are in intimidated by, you know, using the bike, exercising, maybe getting caught in the rain, getting it stolen, having to fix it, pay for it, care for it, park it. Like, there's a lot of inconveniences to having a bike, and this sort of, this eases people into it. Um, so, you know, in October when we did that talk, and at the end of it, the idea was like, wouldn't it be great if, like, the city could come, go back and realize, like, how awesome it is to ride around a bike? And, you know, wish came true. A month later, everyone's like, really into these bike shares and I think it's gonna just continue to have like a positive effect and shape how people get around and uh, get exercise and enjoy themselves yeah I mean there's an expression um, within the cycling industry it's just like life's too short to ride a shitty bike so you know like once you I mean not that they're shitty but once you ride these bikes like they're good for their purpose but you quickly realize their limitations and you know, we hope, we very much hope that, that these programs introduce a lot more people to riding. Uh, but then, you know, they when they once they see those benefits, that they also see the benefit of you know having a bike that fits them, that you know fits the purpose of how they want to ride much better and can enjoy it even that much more. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. I will link to your website and to your WeChat account. To anyone who's in Chengdu and listening to this, you can visit the Natuki Bicycle Shop. The address will be in the post. And here's to a good 2017 with lots of bicycles. Thank you.